everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with Jordan Bianchi, my co-worker at The Athletic. And uh, wow, what a, what a day of racing. Pretty jammed day of racing. I am here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, night has fallen after I've filed my story here. Jordan's been patiently waiting to talk about Dover and Indy with me. And uh, Do- uh, Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I've, I've just been patiently waiting as I'm trying to figure out what to write about Dover. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's it's worked out well for me. Well, I'm excited to hear your take on that a little later in the show because uh, I only watched the last 18 laps of Dover today. I was pretty uh, preoccupied. So um, we will get to all things Dover for you NASCAR fans. If you really have no uh, interest in the Indy 500 stuff at all, uh, feel free to fast forward to this part. I wish I could tell you exactly where to fast forward to. But we're recording this, you know, as we speak, so I can't like foresee the future. But we'll probably do uh, half and half or something like that. So, um, Jordan, did you did you what were you doing? Were you like balancing uh, Indy Five Hundred and Dover at the same time? Two different screens. How were you watching? Yeah, so I watched the Dover Xfinity race and the Dover Cup Series race on one television, and then on the other television, I watched intently. I watched the Indy Five Hundred, and then on the other TV, I had the uh, Twins game. So I had three things going on today, uh, a lot going on. So, but I intently watched all of the racing. Wow, look at you with your attention span, <laughs> able to juggle multiple things. Well, I was pretty focused on Indy because uh, I'm here at the Speedway and wanted to put of course all my effort into this especially um this was the first time jordan i think this is my fifth indy 500 and anyway this was the first time though that i had covered the whole lead up in the all the other ones i had just flown in on uh media day and done media day carb day um the saturday legends day the parade whatever and then the race so really only been there for four days this time even though it was an abbreviated time i mean i've been here for 10 days or 11 days or whatever um, at the track almost every day even when there wasn't track activity was coming to work so you know was there through the whole buildup of practice and um, practice for qualifying and then qualifying and the fast nine day and and you know all that stuff and it was it was so interesting to watch all the lead up and you know ultimately uh i don't really think it was quite the race um people thought maybe i mean i think that you know i I was saying all week when people would ask i said well i think it's it's scott dixon's race to lose and then i think rossi could be the second the guy the guy Mm -hmm. that could kind of come up there um you know dixon was dominating the race i think it would have been a pretty good race with him and rossi at at some point ultimately um rossi you know his, his crew makes a mistake um you know slightly slow pit stop sends him out into traffic he collides with sato who ends up ultimately winning the race and Rossi gets a penalty has to go to the back to field and makes a heroic restart but then 20 laps later or whatever he crashes he's out of the race lots of crashes today um then you know as the race is going on I'm thinking well you know Dixon's dominated the race he and he led 111 laps late restart well okay surely you know as as Dixon had been doing with Rossi he's he's just dropping back he lets Sato go he's gonna get back up there he's definitely gonna get back up there right yeah, and very, then, and he, he, yeah. it seemed like he was because he kind of he, he was hanging at about just under a second, and then he would kind of close up, and then Sato would hit the gas, and it was just he just couldn't he couldn't get by him. Yeah, well, and then at some point, once they got lap traffic, it was like, oh, Sato's yeah. Sato's going to win this race. Um, so 
you know, there's some dispute as to if it had stayed green or whatever. Did Sato have enough fuel? His team says, yes, absolutely. Dixon said, well, I don't know. I think he might have run out of fuel. So we'll never know. <laughs> but the big sort of question controversy of this race, obviously, is that uh, with five laps to go, I think, I think the four, incident, four laps to go, um, caution comes out and uh, really bad wreck. Uh, I mean, it was horrible, really horrible scary looking. wreck. Um, and my immediate thought was, okay, they're going to red flag this race and they're going to restart it. And there's probably going to be two laps to go, maybe one lap shootout. Uh, of course, the mere suggestion of this, Jordan, <laughs> just saying, oh, are they not going to red flag this race? Oh, how dare you go back to NASCAR? You know what I mean? Like, oh, we don't yeah, do that uh, here. We don't do yeah, that here. There's, there's a little bit of elitism with some IndyCar fans. Well, and it's not just, okay, like I made the mistake and I will say it's a mistake. Years ago, um, it might have been the 2013 Indy 500, the last one that ended under caution. I said, you know, they really should uh, try to end this mm-hmm. under green. They should have like <laughs> green, white checkered for this. And Which people, they did the following year, by the way, in 2014. Well, and people were like, that is, oh, oh my gosh, terrible, terrible, terrible. How dare you? That's not what we do. This is a 500-mile race, 200 laps, period, period, period. That's what we do. So I'm like, okay, okay, geez. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was like, you know, it was like the worst thing that I've like ever said on Twitter or something like you would, I mean, it was just like, it was bad. So I've learned that Indy 500 is definitely 500 miles, 200 laps, race ends after that. That's it. No green, white checkered, no overtime. Okay. I'll acknowledge that, but I'm not, I'm not saying to throw a red flag is not gimmicky. That's not. Yeah. Um, They've I, done it before. There, they did in fourteen. Well, and apparently people didn't like that then for whatever reason. But so the the reason this time, the official reason that they're giving, before we give our full takes on it, is that um, there wasn't going to be enough laps left, which we can go into in a second. Now it also might have been that you know the attenuator, the end of pit road, was going to take quite a long time potentially to repair. And NBC, broadcast TV, that would have maybe gone over their TV window. Maybe that that's not going to be a, a good circumstance. But ultimately, they didn't throw the red flag. The race runs out under caution. Takuma Sato wins his second Indy 500. So let's. I, I'd like to hear your take, Jordan, on this. You've been following IndyCar your whole life, I think. So um, what do you think? I have mixed feelings. At first, I was like, "Oh my goodness, how are you not throwing the caution? This is ridiculous!" Like, like you, like you know, this race should end under, this race should end under the green flag. At the very least, you don't even need to go into overtime. You can throw the caution, and you or you throw the red flag. You can get it restarted. Then I, I thought more about it, and I, you know, I looked at what IndyCar said, and I thought, you know, you're probably right. How long was the repair going to take? You know, if you restart the race with. You know, without going into overtime, there's probably going to be what one lap you think a one lap shootout. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, let's say they they're able to stop. The, so it, it happened with four laps to go. They come back around. Let's say they stop them before start finish line. Essentially, uh, they get going again. Three laps to go. They open the pits. They would be coming to the restart. Two laps to go. Right. So yeah, I mean, it would basically be a one lap shootout essentially. So that's you know that is kind of borderline but again biggest race the race they talk about yeah. all year the race of the biggest audience uh the race where the world is watching your 
potentially getting new fans interested. Mm-hmm. Certainly not people are home that not at this race are watching at home. So, okay, let's say it is going to be a one lap shootout. Is is that the worst thing? I mean, to, you're, why 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 is this so frowned upon in the IndyCar world? That oh, oh we we don't. You just one somebody tweeted me one of these uh, indignant fans. They said, um, uh we're, this isn't NASCAR. This isn't about the show. This is about a race. This is a race, not a show, or whatever." Okay. I don't. I, I think. I don't think that mean that makes it a show to try to finish it out under green. It's no, the biggest race of the year. I agree. I mean, and it's not like there hasn't been an Indy 500 before that has had a one lap shootout before. I mean, go back to 1997 with Ari Dyke and Scott Goodyear. Same kind of scenario where it was, you know one or two laps to go and they and they wave the green. It happens, and I think it's okay to make the effort to try to get the race in. And I'm not saying you got to go to overtime. That's a whole different ball of wax. Right. I'm not saying that either. But I would like to know, and I feel like I'm making this decision without knowing how long repairs were going to take. If it was going to be an hour, I don't know. I don't think I would have been okay with that. If it was going to be 15 minutes, I'd like to see the race restarted. So it's just, that kind of impacts my decision, but I do think presuming that the repairs weren't going to be too extensive, I would like to have seen them made an effort because that was a really quick decision that was made. And I think NBC would have been okay with it because again, you, you've got drama. You're going to have a, a, you know, a shootout to decide the Indy 500. Um, I, I think that would have been okay for the viewers at home. You know, another thing is that if they do red flag it, it buys them time to think about it and make a decision. Like for instance, mm-hmm. let's say they did red flag it. Okay. They brought him back down, uh, and they said, "Okay, we're we're gonna red we're gonna red flag this here." And they, you know, they they realized after a while. Look, look, okay, if we if we do restart this, they're adding it up, they're calculating. We're we don't we're out of laps. We're not gonna have enough laps. Or they they look they start looking at the attenuator, and they say, "Yo, this is gonna be a really long repair. We just we simply can't. We sim- we just don't have time or whatever whatever the reason is." Then they restart them and they run it out under caution as it was gonna be as it did anyway. Right. But at, at least it just seemed like, oh, they're they're just not even they're not even going to do anything. They're just going to let it go. Like just, it was a quick decision. It, it was a really like quick it. decision. It seemed yeah. like it. I wish we would have been able to talk to the officials. You know, they put out a statement, but that's not good enough. That's um, not acceptable for a race of this magnitude. And give NASCAR credit. They do make officials. Exactly. When they have calls. You know? like, It'd be like it, they, they would have ca- made uh, Scott Miller or Steve O'Donnell available. Exactly. And they would have said, okay, we would have been able to ask them at least a few questions. Mm-hmm. Why did this happen? Why did you do this? I mean, we asked NASCAR, oh, why did you throw this caution? Or mm-hmm. um, what was the rule? A generic statement for this race is not acceptable. You need more. We need more. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we should be able to ask that um, as much as as much goes into this. So, you know, ultimately, um, I think what ends up happening is this race becomes very forgettable. Um, you know, people are definitely going to remember this as the race without fans. I don't even know if they'll remember who won as much. There was no great finish to remember, obviously, because it ends, ends under caution. Um, you know, Scott Dixon was methodically just murdering everybody for most oh. of the race. And what do you leave? 111 laps? 111. Today yeah. Yeah. And it just seemed like he was in complete control of the race. I, I don't even know. He was because even the times when he got passed, when Rossi passed him or Sato passed him, Dixon, most of those times, 
allowed those guys to get by him because he was trying to save fuel. It wasn't like those guys were faster. Right. It was Dixon playing games and just trying to be smarter about where he was at in the race. Exactly. And, you know, I, I once Rossi went out, that was a big blow. I tell you what, um, I think Renus VK could have put on a show. Uh, he made a mistake in the pit, so he fades. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of mistakes. And, and uh, you know, as as all these guys kept saying over and over again uh, during media day, during our bullpen sessions and stuff, you, you have to be perfect in this race. Um, and it turns out Scott Dixon, as perfect as he was looking, he ultimately wasn't perfect because no, essentially letting Sato by, if he did let him by or, or whatever, on that one sequence, on that one restart, or the one, the sequence after they came out of uh, green yeah, flag stops. Thirty laps to go. Yeah, um, you know, I, you know, he came out of the pits with an advantage. He gave up that advantage, whether he meant to or not, or didn't race hard enough, or was trying to save fuel, and that cost him the race. So it did. Sato was the one who really ran the perfect race, you know, um, and he won. It, it did, and, that, and that's been Rossi's downfall last couple of years and again issues in the pits for for rossi where you know refueling issue was it last year that cost him and then this year the the penalty of leaving pit uh, leaving his pit stall then getting into sato you can't have that mistake and that's inexcusable and especially in a race where it's hard to pass and track position really didn't matter in this race you're not going to overcome that and you could argue that because he was pushing probably too hard Rossi ended up getting his wheels, you know, uh, below the white line there, and that sent him in the wall. So, th- like you said, this was a race where you really had to be perfect. You had to put yourself in a position, and ultimately, the guy gives Sato credit because the knock on Sato for many, many years was he he's over aggressive, makes too many mistakes, and again, this is the second Indy 500 he's won because he put himself in position to take advantage of other people's mistakes, and he was the aggressor at the end, and he did a great job of getting through traffic. With without losing time when he had to be aggressive while also maintaining that, hey, I, I, I got to try to save a little bit of fuel here if I can. Yeah, well, I mean, he was even, uh, <laughs> he was annoying people today, at least. I mean, you heard Rossi in his <laughs> Care Center interview. I mean, uh, but look, it, it works for him. He wasn't penalized for any of it. Um, you know, he, he is aggressive, clearly. And, and there was that one moment where it looked like Dixon was going to pass him and uh, you know, the broadcast booth was saying, oh, maybe is that, is he making a move to block? And, and they let that go too. So, you know, like you're saying, I mean, he's, uh, he sort of made a career of it, but he's, he's gotten better, I guess, at, at not crossing the line, going right up to it without crossing it. So, but the thing is, he's not a, you know, he's also not a compelling story, right? So, um, you know, his victory is not going to resonate beyond the IndyCar no. bubble. I don't really even think it really resonates that much in, in the NASCAR world. Um, you know, it's just, uh, he's a really nice guy. Um, yeah, but, he's an interesting guy, but he's not a charismatic, he's not a household name that people are going to, you know, rally behind and be like, oh, wow, this guy won the Indy 500. I got to tune into the next race to see him. I I think if Dixon wins this race today, that. That is the story that IndyCar needed to kind of propel itself forward. Or Rossi, 
But Dixon winning his second Indy 500 and really further staking his claim, not only as the best IndyCar driver of his generation, but then you're starting to talk about, wait a second, is this guy one of the best? Where does this guy rank all time in terms of the all-time greats? Because now he's got two Indy 500 wins. He's got all the championships and the race wins. The totality of his career really takes on a different outlook. Yeah, but I also think that like with, with Dixon... Um, I mean, he's he's IndyCar's Jimmy Johnson, right? And he's IndyCar's Jimmy Johnson in a time, not Jimmy Johnson now, but Jimmy like when he was winning the five straight where it's just sort of like this relentless, uh, you know, just excellence. And it's kind of gets almost old, you know, like th- this year has been the year of Dixon. He wins the first three races of the season. It had he won today. I think that that actually does sort of like nothing for IndyCar in a way. I mean, I know what you're saying as far as moving it forward and and the storyline would be about where does he rank all time. But I mean, just the way his personality is and stuff. I mean, he's so low key. Um, You know, he he really does remind me a lot of what people said about Jimmy during those times. Now, yeah, is he one of the greatest ever? Yeah. But, you know, the the IndyCar has so many compelling personalities, um, which I really got to uh, enjoy talking to a lot of them this week i mean there's so i mean from connor daly to pagano to Newgarden to willpower to hinchcliffe um i mean they've just got some really just interesting guys graham rahal guys who like to talk and uh super fascinating stuff to say um i think you know one of those guys with a big personality would really sort of move it forward but e- if it was going to be either dixon or or sato uh you know, I just don't know how much that really would have done for them, but um, I don't know. It's it's just it's a uh, man. It's it's crazy how you know these. Look, we we talk about Daytona 500, right? You know, for NASCAR, but ultimately, the week after Daytona, that was the first race of the season, and you know, you you just move right on to the next race, and it's it's the start of the season. But Indy 500 just has this like, you know, for, for them, the, the rest of their series just doesn't you know, really do any sort of big numbers, um, doesn't attract attention. And this is just really everything to them, you know, the lead up and, and it's all they think about. And yeah, it was delayed three months this year and yeah, it was no fans, but it was still just so important and all they talk about and all they focus on and, you know, to just come out and run it for those who had, you know, went out early or, um, you know, didn't have a good race. And now they got to just sit on that for the rest of the year or made a mistake it's just tough, but I, I think it all adds up to like how much this race means, you know, it's how hard it is to win it. Um, I am, I am really happy or no, no, I don't know if happy is the word, but I'm kind of relieved that the person that won it was someone who are, had already won before, because there was a lot of talk and a lot yeah. of concern among the drivers. Um, like man, because it was so different here today without the fans that, I just, I mean, it was like a completely different experience than, than the other ones I've been to. And, um, had, had somebody won it for the very first time and possibly, you know, you win it and, and might never win it again, obviously. And that's your one Indy 500 or something. And you don't get that experience of just the fans going crazy. And, you know, you mm-hmm. ride around the track in the convertible, which they didn't do today and all that stuff. I mean, man, that would have been so tough. To just, I mean, look, this person still would have won it. They would have always been an Indy 500 champ, but it always would have been like, yeah, I won the one where I didn't get the full experience, you know. So yeah, no, you're, it, that's a great point, and I think, I, I think that's a really good point. If it just if 
part of winning the Indy 500 is, is the experience of Victory Lane, of pouring the milk on you and the fans reacting and celebrating with them and them acknowledging you and everything that goes along with it. And it had it been a Mark Wendretti of someone of that caliber, Joseph Newgarden, um, it would have it would have been kind of uh, hollow is not the right word, but it, it just would have felt incomplete, and that would have been tough. And I just go back, and I remember 2014. I remember being there, and the battle at the end between Castro Neves and Ryan Hunter Ray, and what the fans brought to that was it just it elevated that duel, which was great to watch and to be there for, but it elevated it to an even higher level. I remember 2017, maybe it's a better example. I remember Fernando Alonso, I thought he was going to win that race, and he ends up having an engine failure, and his car parks in turn one. He gets out of his car and walks back to the garage. I ended up following him for a good stretch of that, and I just remember vividly fans standing up and applauding him and running down to the fence and screaming his name. That is something I'll never forget, and I don't, you know, those kind of moments that you, you didn't have that today, and it, that it's unfortunate, but in a way, like you said, that, that we had, you know, two guys up there battling for the win that had won before, had been through this before, it, it didn't feel like we missed out in some way. Yeah, and uh, by the way, speaking of Alonzo, pretty quiet day, pretty quiet yeah. day, and uh, it's probably his, probably going to be his last attempt. I mean, now he's going back to. Um, F1 for two years um, you know the odds of him coming back again uh, he'll be a lot older then uh, I don't know I just you know I, I just I can't see it was it was cool for him to come try it um, yeah absolutely too, and it's too bad it's unfortunate just yeah. a quiet day for Chevrolet overall really to be honest with you yeah I mean you had New Garden trying to get up there VK looked good for a while uh, the Ed Carpenter cars really um, you know Connor Daly Oh, really, really oof. wasn't a factor even before his spin. So Cole Pern's uh, Indy 500 debut, kind of, um, you know, it just wasn't really anything to write home about. I guess, uh, you know, Pagano had a contact there and he never was able to recover. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, their their the track position that they lost uh, in qualifying really, really did hurt. I mean, had they been up more toward the front, they could have played a different strategy or wouldn't have mm-hmm. to have been on the alternate strategy at first. And even Newgarden, who wasn't on the uh, alternate strategy, he just he just ran out of time to get up there, you know? No, so it never it never really felt like they a Chevrolet driver was going to win the race. It was going to have to be the cautions fell a certain way. You're going to need right. other circumstances to dictate it. But you look at it. I mean, Dixon led 111 laps. Rossi was up there. He, he had probably had the second fastest car. Sato was in a Honda. Bob, uh, Graham Rahal was was in a Honda. He finished third. It just it never felt like anyone really had a chance unless you were in a Honda. Well, let's just talk about Rossi before we move on to uh, the NASCAR stuff. Man, that guy is just incredible to watch. Just yet oh, again, he's, he's he's worth the price of admission. I mean, that I when I was so happy when NBC went to a half screen <laughs> yes, on his in car for the restart. <laughs> I wasn't even watching the rest. of the, I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna get out the popcorn on this one. And that that moment where it was actually Elio did the same thing ultimately past uh, mm-hmm. five cars in that turn, but you know you just see Rossi's decision making there live in the car with him, and you're just like oh, so oh, and he made it work. And you're just like man, that guy's talent is just unreal, just unreal. You can see the difference. You can see his talent shine through. And sometimes you know people say, well, is it the car or the driver? And it's like no, you watch Rossi. 
And it's like, yeah, he's got a good car, but he makes he makes things happen on the racetrack. And the way, like you said, the way he dissects, he's he's like three moves ahead of everyone else uh, of what he's going to do, and he's already completed the move before other people realize that he's doing it. It's he is sublime to watch. It, it is just he's the, the guy's got onions. I mean, let's just yeah. be honest, the guy's got big onions. And the the funny thing too is like, you know, he has a little bit of. Uh, little bit of Kyle Bush in him, I would say, in some of the interviews. Yes. But yes. It's, he's not um he's not like a dick, if that makes sense. And sorry he's not if there's a poor sport. Kids uh, no, I don't I don't think he's a poor sport. Yeah. He's salty and he can be like a little sour and like dismissive a little bit. But mm-hmm. it's like I don't know how to describe it, but he's like very he's like cool about it. Like he's He's just like, uh, you know, I'm so damn good. Why did this have to, you know, I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, but like this, this, this question, like, uh, I'm not going to answer that kind of thing. Like, it, I don't know how to describe it. He's, he's a lot easier to, uh, to read. You could just look at his face and we're with Kyle, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, what am I going to get here? I like, I like talking to Kyle cause he keeps interesting, but I'm just saying Rossi, um, kind of goes up to the line without going over it in terms he's of making it personal. Out. He he's- doesn't make you personal. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, he's interesting guy to cover and talk to. Um, be interesting to see where his career goes because uh, you know, I I I just think he could he could have won a lot more, but mistakes that aren't of his doing. Um, I mean, he could yeah, be a three time Indy five hundred winner by now potentially, but easily, and he's having a miserable oh terrible year twenty twenty, and he resigned multi year deal with you know Andretti Autosports, so he's not going anywhere. And you, you kind of got to wonder a little bit, you know, you know, you know, Penske was interested in him. Penske was really interested in him before Pagano won, right? Yeah. Well, yes. And even then there was talk that, you know, yeah, we're going to resign. We're going to resign Simon, but you know, is, is Rossi a guy we, we figure out how to make this work. You know, do we add a fourth car? What do we need to do? He's that kind of talent and it never got that far, but you've got to wonder how many wins that he, he, Rate, how many wins have he has he let go by? How many potential Indy 500s has he let go by? And what ultimately they let me at the end of his career is it going to be something you look back on and go, what if? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I will give um, my thoughts, I guess, uh, just on the experience of, of being here. Um, I'll, I'll save that for uh, The Athletic. I just, uh, the story I see just came across. I haven't tweeted it yet. doesn't matter anyway because you won't be hearing this till I post it so i don't even know why i said that it's late but um i my story's up now it's uh what the indy 500 um sounded like uh with no fans so i just talked about i went out uh, before the race after the race um and talked about what i heard you know what what the atmosphere was like um so if you are interested in, in that whole thing obviously uh first one in 104 years like this hopefully the last one that is ever like this um, totally surreal atmosphere. If you're interested in reading about that, that is on The Athletic. Um, we'll talk about NASCAR, but first let's take a quick break and have a word from one of our sponsors. All right, so um, Jordan, NASCAR. Uh, so <laughs> let's see, I watched uh, Dover race Saturday, and mm-hmm. then I was trying to follow um, here and there. You know, I was obviously looking at Twitter all the time. So I was looking at Twitter just for updates on uh, the Sunday Dover race. And then um, after the IndyCar race was over and I was back in from uh, doing my reporting, 
Um, I saw that Jimmy Johnson had taken a two-tire call, and he was out front with 18 laps to go. So I quickly pulled up NBCSN, and I watched the last 18 laps to see how that all unfolded. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I didn't watch the rest of the race prior to that. So if you can sort of fill in the blanks for me here. Uh, so, you know, first of all, on Saturday, we, we which we can discuss, you know, it was Denny Hamlin's day. Mm-hmm. He wins uh, both stages and the race, gets those seven points, takes the playoff points lead. And you're like, wow, Denny's made a statement here. He's tied yeah, Especially Harvick. on a track he traditionally hasn't done well at, by the way. Yeah. And then Harvick comes right back, wins both stages and the race. Um, so, again, we have another doubleheader situation uh, where it's a Harvick-Hamlin show for the weekend, just like um, Pocono, uh, just like Michigan, except that was just Harvick, right? So, because uh, yep. Pocono... But Hamlin finished second that race, or one of the doubleheaders at Michigan. Yep. And at Pocono, they, they traded, right? Mm-hmm. They were one two yep. one two, so um, yeah, it's it's interesting how the double headers have have turned out like that. But clearly, at this point, they are those two with the amount of playoff points they have. Harvick clinching the regular season championship Sunday. Denny is looking like he's going to be second in points. They're going to have a ton of playoff points. It would take a real disaster for both of them not to make the final four, right? It would, and I asked Kevin Harvick that post race for something I'm writing for theathletic.com, and I, you know, I said you, you got 57 playoff points. That's a ridiculous amount. It's a record number. I mean, is that a it, record? It, it, yeah, it's going to be. It'll be a record. It would be a record. I think uh, Truex would be uh, had in, in 2016 had like 53. Or I'm sorry, 2017 had 53 or something. Okay. I asked, I asked Harvick, I said, if you don't get to Phoenix with, with this playoff point total, I mean, is it going to be a disappointment? And he's just like, eh, you know, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and just said, you know, we take it one race at a time. And I asked his crew chief, Rodney Childers, and Roddy's, Rodney gave a little bit more. You could, you could tell Rodney had thought about it a little bit. And he said, yeah, I'd be, I'd be a little bit disappointed. And it does get the sense of, can you know, you have to carry this forward for the next 10 weeks of the playoffs. That, that's a big, it's a big task. We, when we've seen teams not be able to do it, but you have a season like this and you don't get yourself a chance to win the championship at Phoenix. I don't know how that's not disappointing and how you don't think, you know, we let one get away. And that to me is the big thing here with Harvick is he's got a title in 2014. He's made it the final four a handful of a bunch of times every year. But I think one year since, you know, he doesn't have a second championship though. And at what point do you say, you know, it feels incomplete. We should have had another tight championship. We put ourselves in position and it just hasn't happened. So it's interesting. It's you know you look at the totality of their season and it's so good, and they're so good everywhere. I don't know how you can't be disappointed if this doesn't end up with not just a final four, but you know celebrating a second championship. Yeah, I mean they've certainly, I mean, gosh, what a year, what a year, and there's still so much left to go. I mean they really, mm-hmm. I mean it, it's not out of the question the way that both Harvick and Hamlin win races. I mean, could we see? two double-digit winners. I mean, that would be a stretch at this yeah. point. There's 11 races left, but um, Harvick needs three more. Hamlin needs four more. I mean, but at the rate at the rate they win, and especially they're going to be on in the playoffs, mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be that shocking to see them win seven out of the 11 final races combined. I mean, I don't know. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they're good everywhere. Um, they have veteran teams around them. They are powerhouse organizations. 
I don't see and, and Martin Truex Jr. is doing a phenomenal job right now. You know, five straight third place finishes, and then he's finished second yesterday, finished third today. I mean, he's really upped his game, but as well as Martin Truex Jr. is, he still doesn't feel like he's in their category. <laughs> they just feel like they're in another league right now. That's how good they are. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how this plays out. I, I think double digit wins for both of them is realistic, and especially if you look back and say, you know what, Denny Hamlin had a win at Bristol. He probably should have won that race in, in back in late May and add that one more to his win total. And, and he's had a couple other ones that have gotten away from him. Harvick's been in contention a few times. And, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like we could have a, a year where two guys win 10 races, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, Truex definitely looks like a strong third right now uh, in terms of, like, a Final Four type thing. But he just doesn't have the playoff points to protect himself. So we'll see how that goes. But let's talk about the, uh, the big Jimmy pick call there so uh cliff daniels says you know what i'm going to give jimmy some track position two tires uh mm-hmm. and two very old tires put him out front Oof. and i was watching that and i was honestly going nah this is not going to work he is gonna <laughs> especially as soon as harvick like blew by him on the restart yeah i'm like oh gosh he's gonna fade backwards this is gonna be a big mistake but i guess he had come into the pits like sixth and he yep. ends up holding on for third, right? Yeah, so Truex got yeah. second, he got third, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And Byron finished fourth. So, yeah, so ultimately, you know, that he picks up three spots uh, that he wouldn't have had. Three points. Yeah, I mean, every point is clearly going to gonna matter. Um, man, I were, were you thinking it was going to work at that point? I mean, I didn't think he was going to win. I, I just thought, I, I thought maybe if the restart shakes out, maybe he could hold on for a few laps, but there's no way he was going to be able to hold on for the lead. But I, I was surprised he held on for third. I thought he was going to slide. And I think this shows the the new the new choose rule, the effect that this has, where previously Harvick may have ended up restarting behind him. And if that's the case, then Johnson's got the advantage but the way it was, Harvick was able to to decided to to go the inside, and he was able to power through, and he quickly wasted no time passing him. I thought Jimmy was going to fade. I was really surprised Byron didn't get by him and get that point because Byron Byron had four fresh tires, and to me that shows something which I've noticed in Byron this year, which is a lack of aggressiveness. And if you listen on the radio a little bit to the 24 team, it comes across that you know Chad Knauss and his spotter kind of tell him at times like, listen, you. You gotta get, you gotta kind of hunker down here and get after it. Don't be afraid to get after these guys and you know, kind of shove around a little bit. But it's it's hard. I mean, you're racing your teammate. You're not gonna put a bumper to him. You, you know, you're not gonna. You don't want to put him in a bad spot. And then the fact that Alex Bowman was right behind these guys, you had three hinder cars right there. So it complicates matters a little bit. I think if Jimmy Johnson was racing anybody else, I think he would have gotten passed for third. And I think he would have probably kept sliding. But the fact that Byron didn't jump on him right away uh, It let them separate themselves a little bit from the pack and it let Jimmy's tires kind of equal up with everyone else's as their their tires faded. It's tough because I was watching that and I thought, oh, this is not a good look for Byron, right? Um, it was almost shades of, I want to say like kind of like Kyle Larson at times earlier in his career. Yeah, where, that's where, a really, yeah. yeah. And I think even at Dover at one point. where Yeah, was, Matt Kansas, 2015. Exactly. Uh, he was being criticized for why doesn't he, you know, use the bumper and get it get under there and stuff. I think in Byron's case, I mean, look, yes, he's a competitor, but he's Jimmy's teammate. He idolized Jimmy. I mean, he used to go trick or treating at Jimmy's house. Like he obviously looks up to the guy. He knows Jimmy's on two older tires. He knows he's fighting him for a playoff spot. 
But at the same time, if he wedges it down in there and like bumps Jimmy up the track, there's a decent chance with Jimmy's old tires, he could like wreck Jimmy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So how aggressive do you be there? He could essentially end his teammate. And you know, with in his in his final year, yeah, his playoff hopes with a wreck right there. So, you know, that's a tough, really tough spot for him. I kind it's of a feel no win for, spot. Yeah, I I I kind of feel for Byron. I mean, it's like I'm sure most people, even at Hendrick, are rooting for Jimmy to make the playoffs, and they don't really want to see Byron hold him off. I mean, maybe that's unfair to say. Maybe they say, oh, everybody, we treat everybody the same. But I mean, Jimmy's last year, Jimmy's last ride. You know, it's like, would you rather have Byron or, or Jimmy in the playoffs? I mean, don't most people want to see Jimmy, like, go out? It's, I don't know. Maybe not. But um, anyway, it's just it's it's a tough spot for him because he's sort of in a lose-lose in some ways um, if he's mm-hmm. if he makes a mistake there. So um, I, I will say, though, can you tell me, because I didn't watch the race, uh, so did Benedetto just have yet another bad day i see that he's really totally completely blown his once comfortable lead yeah uh Oof. and now he's in pretty serious jeopardy i mean he's mm-hmm. he, it's it's pretty much whichever one of them wrecks at daytona yeah uh they're they're done i mean between yeah, he's only nine points yeah he's only nine points up on uh jimmy for the last spot so yeah you could have both cars make it if the benedetto wrecks at daytona it's realistic absolutely and it's you know and all three of those guys do well at daytona but stage points are going to matter i mean it's it's not you know it's going to be a matter of obviously staying out of the big one that's the big thing is getting into the finish if you can get to the finish you have a good opportunity to get a good you know result but stage points are really going to be the big difference here and Matt went from I, I thought he was a lock to make the playoffs because he had a, what a hundred he was a hundred plus a hundred points or something. Was he? It was, oh my it was gosh! A, yeah, I need to look it, it up. It was a giant. It was a giant number. That's gone. And you know when you look at it with as good as and I know the Wood Brothers are an affiliate team and you, you know there's questions of you know what the quality of equipment is when you're an affiliate team but those cars are good. I mean you know they may not be they they come from the Penske shops. I mean those are good race cars and you have to be. You you have to be knocking off these finishes, and he's throwing away some points. I mean, he had he's had a couple weeks here in a row where they they've had speed in the race cars, and they haven't had the results. And this is just it's gotten to the point where if he misses the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of questions because Austin Cindric is tearing up the Xfinity series right now. I mean, he is showing that he is deserving of an opportunity. And I asked Austin earlier today. Um, you know, what do you want to do for 2021? And he goes, I, I want to be in cup. Me staying in the Xfinity series for another year is probably going to be, is hinder my development a little bit. And me getting up to cup is the best thing I can do for my career in, in terms of progression. And, you know, you have to be said if Matt's a free agent and everybody likes Matt and the Wood Brothers like Matt. But if you stumble yourself out of the playoffs when you've got this giant lead and you've got this young hot shot coming up, there's going to be a big spotlight on you, and there's going to be some questions that need answering. That's a really tough spot for him. Um, obviously, this whole this collapse hasn't been all of his own doing by any stretch of the imagination. But absolutely not. Um, it's a really it's really unfortunate because I really thought this was going to be a year where uh, he won, you know, at least one race um, in Penske stuff, and you know, good equipment. Um, man, it would be it would be really hard to. Uh, be a tough pill to swallow for for him to be you know super sad at daytona and being like 
oh man, you know, we missed it. But I will say, I, I feel like out of Byron to Benedetto and Johnson, I, I feel most confident about to Benedetto at uh, Daytona. I feel like he, I could see him going out and having a good plate race. Um, yeah. I, I don't the one feel thing as he's good. got. Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. The one thing he's got going for him is that his three teammates, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, they're in the playoffs, so they can focus their attention on getting Matt to the front, working with him. Whereas Byron and Johnson, you know, they, they've got teammates that are in in the playoffs, and Byron and, and Bowman and Elliott. But if you're, you know, if you're Jimmy Johnson or William Byron, it comes down to it. I mean, how how helpful are you to each other in the draft and making those moves? And so. You've got three teammates if you're Matt that that can focus their energy uh, on helping you. And I will say that I don't think there's a better organization that is better at working together and forming a plan than Team Penske when it comes to uh, super speedway racing. Well, it's going to be, you know, I think there's some subplots that we don't see yet or that I haven't thought through all the way yet because, like, for instance, so Eric Jones, uh, he's in a must-win situation now. Uh, He's like 50 points out. So... There, in theory, I mean, you could have the Gibbs cars do exactly what you just said. They, they could mm-hmm. say, hey, we want to all get to the front. Of course, we want to help our teammate Jones put him in position uh, to possibly go for a win. Obviously, they're not going to give him a win. Uh, you know, Kyle Busch doesn't let anybody win. Denny wants to play off points, win for himself. Truex wants playoff points. But they could work together and certainly get him up toward the front and give him a shot, things like that. Remember, Eric Jones did win. Um, the clash that was, I know that was a lifetime ago. Um, yeah, and he won this race two years ago. Yes. Well, the July race. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Well, but, um, th- there's a different, a whole different pressure now, of course. Um, th- now it's a must win versus a, Hey, I went out and won, but you're, you're right. And, um, yeah, so he's certainly capable. I just, I just don't feel as confident about, uh, Jimmy's chances, of like surviving the race without getting in the big one just because it seems like at Daytona isn't he like always in the big one like he's always in some sort of a wreck am I just making that up I haven't looked at the stats but it just seems like he gets caught in a wreck a lot at Daytona in particular so it, it certainly does and Byron has is has a knack for super speedway racing yeah he'll um, be out it, front it then runs, he, he wrecks yep. you know <laughs> like with with Keselowski or something you know yeah, exactly, and it's going to be interesting to see what his strategy is. And I think you know we've seen it with Chad Canales, where Chad is really good about playing for stage points. And I think you're going to see that strategy unfold. Is you've got to be cautious. You can't take you can't take chances. Get points stage one, stage two. Bide your time in stage three, and then you know with twenty to go, then you go to the front. So I, I think that's really the only way to do it. Here, here's another problem that these guys are going to face at Daytona. Is you know like you said, it's it's going to be a lot about getting stage points. And we've seen at these plate races or these super speedway races, not restricted plate anymore, but at these super speedway races, we've seen time and again that these wrecks get triggered at the front, you know, like by the the second or third place driver will get turned and he takes out, you know, say cars three through 15 or 18 or something. Right. And obviously, so you don't want to drop to the back and just play it safe by any stretch of the imagination if you're going to be going for stage points. But at the same time, if you're going for him, you're going to be in that zone of mm-hmm. like big time danger so absolutely it could be yeah it's gonna be really crazy uh it is i just looked it up by the way uh-huh. in jimmy johnson's last 12 races at daytona how many times do you think he's crashed out of the races 
last 12 races of Daytona, how many times he crashed out, like DNF yes. due to crash, not even just... Yes. Uh, let's say four out of 12? Six. Wow. Half of his last 12 Daytona races, he's crashed out. Correct. Not even just damage, but like DNF. No, crashed out. And that's not taking into account any other damage he accrued in other crashes right. where he was able to continue. Hmm. That's not a great uh, track record, literally track record. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, that should be that should be uh, really interesting. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. I, I've I've been wrong on my predictions pretty much all year. I kept telling you on the on the teardown oh, yeah. here that uh, <laughs> Boyer was going to miss. He's good now. So. Oh no! I, I said this week in our in our chat, our Q and A that you can check on theathletic.com. I said Jimmy Johnson's in a must win mode. He there's too big of a point hole to overcome. And what happened? Byron threw his big point lead away on Saturday. <laughs> So I look like I'm an idiot. So no, yeah, what do I happens? Know? Um, Jordan, the first Dover was it a good race poll is already well underway. Um, so obviously we didn't get a chance to guess on that because we didn't do a, a podcast Saturday night. So um, I will tell you with 100 percent accuracy that whatever that number is, I would have guessed it. OK, well, you, you haven't looked it up right now. Have you? Uh, so why you just guess? Uh, no, it's just, not done. Just, you're just gonna have to you're gonna have to vote hand. in the poll because it's yeah, not done, so on. you can't see it. Only Literally, I, only I can on. see it. Twitter search jeffcluck.com. <laughs> just for, just forget it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> right now that that first Dover poll with uh, twelve hours still still to go. The first one was fifty four percent. So oh, that's what I would have said. Uh, yeah, I would have said actually probably lower. I didn't really like that first Dover race yesterday see some people seem to really like it but it finished better it, the, the beginning of it was a little rough the end of it when denny hamill was chasing down tricks was it turned into pretty good at the finish but it wasn't it, it was kind of typical dover in a lot of respects yeah well i how did today's race go i mean i have no sense of it except for the last 18 laps so i, I can't really make a prediction at all for this week's for the poll this week i mean you you can go ahead but i i have like I, really no idea i have no idea if it was good race or not no, I would say fifty. Uh, let's see, I mean, was it was it better than Saturday? No, because Harvick oh. dominated. I mean, it oh, was okay. never there was never any doubt of who was going to win the race, especially when oh. Denny Hamlin had a tire issue. So I mean, Harvick just stomped everybody. Oh, okay, and Chase, I, I saw on Twitter, he yeah, Chase went like, out early, right I mean, early, the, and yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, luckily, I mean, the Jimmy stuff happened at the end. That was if, without that, it would just it, there would have been nothing. Okay, yeah. So you you think that this since basically you're saying that if Saturday was 54% that people will probably vote lower for Sunday, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I would be surprised if it's, if it's a higher, I would be shocked. Okay. Well, we'll just, we'll just go with that as your prediction. Now, Jordan, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to be done. You know, here I've been at the track for, uh, three weeks in a row, two Michigan races, uh, Indy 500 qualifying. And now the Indy 500, I've gotten spoiled after being at home from, uh, March 8th until, Michigan, five months or whatever it was. Um, so, but this is it for me. I'm I'm going back home now, and probably won't be at a race again for quite some time. Who knows if I go back the rest of the season at all, given the uh, the pandemic and um, you know the situation is. Look, I mean, it was nice to be able to interview people in person here in Indy, but unfortunately, the situation in NASCAR now is that it's it's still going to be zooms and uh it's just not worth it to uh go to the track if you can talk to the people you can't talk to anybody except for zooms and i can do the zooms from home so there's really nothing i can provide 
unfortunately being at track uh, for the NASCAR race right now. I hate it. I want to go, but it just, you know, it just, I can't justify it. Now you're, you're in a different position because you live in Charlotte. So you're going to be able to get to some of these uh, playoff races Mm -hmm. and your parents uh, live near Orlando. So you're going to be able to get to Daytona next week. You must be excited about that. I am. I think it's just going to be absolutely crazy. Um, I think with the way the playoff structure is set up, with with Daytona being the end of the regular season, with what we everything we talked about on, on this episode, I, I think Daytona is going to be absolutely nuts. I think the intensity is going to be ramped up, and I think you're going to see a lot of desperate drivers do a lot of desperate things. Well, uh, for those of you who look for the 12 questions, um, it doesn't seem like... Uh, I, I think I have a good guest lined up for this week coming up, but it's, I'm not going to be able to record that interview until Friday. It looks like. So usually they come out on Wednesday. So just a heads up, there will be a 12 questions this week, but probably not until sometime, um, Friday, early afternoon, I would say I can turn it around then. So look for that. It'll be a a good guest if this person comes through, I promise. Um, hopefully it'll work out. So just want to give you a heads up on that. Everybody. Wow. Thanks for listening. Um, this is a mega jam-packed edition. We appreciate you. Appreciate you giving support to all of our coverage on The Athletic. We're working as hard as we can, um, trying to pump out a lot of stuff uh, to keep everybody happy and feel like your subscription is worth it. If you're not a subscriber, we're going we're to keep rolling out some good stuff. So now would be a great time to subscribe for sure. So please look into doing that. Uh, Jordan and I tweet out Twitter links all the time to our stories that you can uh, find some deals out there, whatever you want. So anyway, Jordan, great to talk to you, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time on The Teardown.